This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's down the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody, Matt Bagley with you. I got Justin Hopkins on a Zoom call, and we're going to bring you Scoop Duck and Hi Fi. Um, real fun pod this week. Justin has lined up another great guest. And um, before we get to that, we have some good news, we have some bad news. The good news is that the college football season isn't canceled yet. We're still holding out hope. One more week of hope. Bad news is that today, Oregon Governor Kate Brown said, if, if you have a live event and it's through September, you should probably change it or cancel it. So my guess is when the Buckeyes come to town in September, there won't be any fans in the stands. What do you think when you hear that, man? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think you and I have been relatively on the same page kind of throughout this pandemic. And, and, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, the reality is it's March 6th, it's March 7th, whatever day it is we're talking or May, excuse me, it's early May. And to project out that far out in advance to me seems completely irrational. So I know that there's a lot of folks that are not big fans of Kate Brown, and I get that. I read stuff. I don't really comment on it, but I read it, um, and I'm sure this is really going to spark things up. But regardless of who said it, I just I feel, in my opinion, that it's slightly irresponsible to project out three or four months in advance for a virus or for something that we're still actively learning. And I, I think – to me, it's not that we shouldn't take the coronavirus seriously. We definitely should. I think the social dis- distancing measures have helped. I don't question that. But, you know, we're basically just in the, we'll just say the four to six week window where, you know, coronavirus kind of became front and center to where we are now. And the amount of data that we've had, which seems to be completely different than the original data, I just have a hard time stomaching saying, hey, we're just going to go ahead and extrapolate this out four or five months from here. I mean, I get it. She's taking precautious measures. But uh, but again, I'm not a fan of it just simply because I don't see a reason that you have to project that far out. I think you can kind of almost take this on a month by month, 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 month by month basis, if you will. Yeah. If you do that approach, I'm curious, do you think there's a cutoff where at some point, I don't know when. I'm kind of asking you this. At some point, would there be a cutoff where the coaches have to know what is going on in September so that they can play games in September? Oh, well, no question. I mean, let's face it. These coaches need to know, uh, you know, they need to know well before. And I don't remember what's whatever date the first game is. I think it's September 5th or whatever. But you're talking about spring ball, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, fall ball practice being the entire month of August, well, obviously they can't get notified on July 30th that they're going to be able to start practice the next day. You cannot do that in major college football. And it's, you know, you and I are going to be football centric on this, but there's so many other things, you know, at stake, the Blazers, 
you know, start coming back at that point in time or, you know, around that point in time. Uh, you know, you've got the timbers, you've got so many other things going on in the state of Oregon that will raise a lot of questions. But as it pertains to college football, yeah, these guys, you know, they start practice early August. There's no way you could tell them a week before and say, yeah, giddy up, good luck. Um, and I think my biggest struggle with all this, with the with 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 everything that has to do with uh, you know COVID nineteen coronavirus, is just how this has been so different state to state. And you know, you see Oregon doing things a certain way, you see California doing things a similar way, but Texas, Georgia, others are doing things differently. It's so different on a country by country basis, and it's just it's really difficult. I guess when you look at this, we're, we're looking at our leaders, our government leaders, our politicians as the decision makers. And, and they have to, you know, obviously weigh all the pros and cons of everything, but nobody's on the same page. And I guess for me, it just seems completely disorganized. I, I do see why you take it case by case, because for instance, uh, you know, Portland and the counties in Portland have, have been hit much harder in the state of Oregon than say Southern Oregon. Uh, you know, Southern Oregon, Jackson County, specifically where I live, uh, I, I could be I'm pretty close, but we've had maybe two or three new cases in the last three or four weeks and zero deaths. So, you know, how do you effectively decide what that county should do that our county, Jackson County, that seems to have, you know, a, a pretty low level of spread compared to the highly dense population areas of Seattle, Portland, L.A., New York, where it obviously hits folks much harder right right it's tough too because when you look at that approach like um i got really into zip code searches because that data got released by oregon the other night uh, the oregonian put together this this neat tool where you could break down all of the zip codes where people live that have caught this thing and it was a list where White City won something good for once, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, you know all the all the little communities in Southern Oregon that we all pick on all the time. All you guys won something for once, uh, and it it got me thinking. You know, it, w- it would be cool to maybe move some things down to areas where we haven't had this. But then you potentially open up a can of worms like uh, that fear everybody had when the beaches were still open before the shutdown right. of if if Portland knows that Seaside is safe, all the infected people are going to go to Seaside for the weekend. And, and right. my fear there is, you know, even if the Ducks said, hey, um, Jackson County looks great or or Wheeler County looks great, you know, way, way out east, you're just going to move that fear somewhere else. Right. No, I agree. That's, I mean, that's obviously, you know, that's why you limit the air travel. That's why you limit the, you know, interstate travel, all those things. I understand that because obviously what we're continuing to learn is just so many people are asymptomatic of this. They have no idea if they're carriers, you know, kids are obviously a a huge, uh, you know, population that's probably carrying and not, and not knowing, and, uh, you know, you, you risk the spread. So I understand all of those things. I guess my biggest gripe is just, a, you know, every county, city, zip code, as you said, is, is, is so much different, but yet we're applying a broad stroke. But on the same hand, what the state of Oregon is doing is not what the state of Texas is doing, for right. example. And it's just, I don't know, it's just uh, weird times. I know, 
we may offend people with some of the stuff that we've just said just now. And I think we've kind of towed the line pretty carefully there. Um, not trying to interject too much opinion, but, uh, you know, there is no correct answer. There's it's, it's just, uh, I really, I really wonder how much pushback there will be from university of Oregon, Oregon state university, other entities that have, you know, live sports expected in the month of September, how much pushback, you know, Governor Kate Brown will get uh, for her decision today. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, want to get into a, a little bit of recruiting with you because even though we have all that uncertainty for the fall, it seems like right now these coaches have hit their stride on on how they do recruiting in a new world and 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 they're finding strategies that work. I've been reading about a, a bunch of Oregon State moves and Pac-12 moves over the last couple of days and reading about a couple of Oregon moves as well. Yeah, I you know, uh, there was an article the other day, I believe it was 24/7 Sports just talking about, you know, how many decommitments are we expecting to see in the fall from all of these because uh, commitment commitments are up. I I remember looking and I I think somewhere somebody had listed and it may have been 24 seven sports once again, but, but said that commitments are up around this time frame, you know, around 30%. I don't think it was quite that high, but it was right around there, which is a tremendous spike. If you're talking nationally, the number of commitments, well, you, you got to wonder kids aren't able to take on campus visits. They're not seeing coaches uh, on their high school campuses. So what are they doing? Are you just locking in a spot? Are you just bored at home and you think, Oh, I'm going to make a commitment so I can get my, you know, social media followers back up and get some attention. I don't know, but it certainly seems to be, you know, Tennessee, for example, uh, I don't remember. They got like nine commits in the last 12 days or something ridiculous. Um, I think they got the number two or three ranked class in the country right now. Well, Tennessee is not a very good football team. They haven't been a very good football team. So what are these guys jumping on for? Is it just, you know, giving into pressure or, or what are they doing? And, and Oregon, you know, only had the one commit in the last month or so here. Um, you know, Oregon just kind of got caught in a spot there. That, and they were really geared up. Uh, you know, the spring game has been a tremendous selling point for Oregon since Mario Cristobal has been around. You know, it's, it's, it's for the most part, been pretty good weather. Uh, the stadium has a really good showing. It might not be full, but it's two-thirds full. It's, it's you know, it's definitely got the most fans of, it, of any program in the Pac-12 for a spring game. Um, it's just a great atmosphere, and, you know, there was no reason not to circle that date as a, hey, let's bring in a big group of guys, let's make a bang, let's really push for this. You know, you're still talking about the third, fourth week of April. You're still very early in the recruiting process. It's totally reasonable. Well, to have that, you know, plug pulled three weeks prior to that, you know, really throws a wrench into, into what Oregon's doing. Now, Oregon specifically, as I've kind of talked about, couple things going for you. A, you're going to have a limited class this year, maybe only around 20 signees, maybe only you know, around 20 guys. You're not going to get a full 25. So you're already going to be a smaller class. You've already got five or six guys committed. So here you are. You're already just kind of looking at, you know, maybe having room for about 15 guys, give or take, at this point moving forward. You really don't have a ton of glaring needs at any one position. Sure, they need to get a little better at tight end. They could certainly get a little better at wide receiver. You know, you need to continue to replenish your offensive line stock, but there isn't the major massive glaring holes that Oregon had when Mario Cristobal took over. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he completely had to flip this roster. So with that comes, hey, look, we're not really just in the market for depth, for bodies, for guys. 
we're in the market for dudes. We're not going to just bring in somebody so they can be a body behind a Justin Flo. What good does that do this? We want to come in and bring somebody that's close to that level at that level so that they can develop for a year or two behind Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, et cetera, and be ready when it's their time to come. And that's that's how Alabama does it. I mean, they aren't just yeah. – yeah, you know, Nick Saban isn't just filling roster spots with with guys that say, "Yeah, I want to commit to play for your school." Mm-hmm. That's not what he's doing. Oregon's not there yet, but they're much closer to that, much closer to that than they were two or three years ago. So recruiting's going to transition a little bit from you know Oregon getting high numbers and bringing in lots of bodies um, and really finding projectables to okay, now we are what I what I like to use for the term big game fishing. You go big game fishing, you're only catching one or two of those big bluefin tuna, but they're beautiful and you love it and it's a lot of fun. You go trout fishing and you catch 30 of them and it's a you know it's it's fun, but it's a totally different type of fishing and that's kind of where Oregon's at at this point. How many guys would you classify on that roster as big game? Uh, on Oregon's current roster? Yeah. I mean, it, let's. I mean, got too many to list. I mean, obviously, we could just start with the the obvious. Panay Sewell is a no brain. That's a dude right there. I mean, just think, Panay Sewell is only about to enter his third year of college football at Oregon. I mean, he's only played two years. He just signed with Oregon a couple years ago, and he's obviously one of the elite guys. When you're talking about NFL talent, you're talking about Mikel Wright, another great looking guy that's come in. You know that Mario Cristobal's been able to sign at corner. Uh, Panay Sewell, Justin Flo, or excuse me, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, who I mentioned earlier, uh, Javon Holland. I saw, you know, Mel Kuyper's got Javon Holland as a top 10 draft pick. Mm-hmm. This roster has completely changed, you know, frontwards and back. Is it absolutely where it needs to be? No, it can always, always, always be better. But just to consider where this team is now, even with the losses of, of guys like Troy Dye, Justin Herbert, and those that have gone on to the NFL – even with those losses, this roster is still in much better shape than it was just two short years ago. So once again, you're not just now looking for bodies. You're looking for, hey, look, we're not going to bring in somebody to sit behind mm-hmm. Mikel Wright and Dante Manning. We need to come in and bring in somebody that has a chance to compete and push those guys and not only make them better, but get better in the process. All right. Looks like uh, your guest that you secured this week is waiting in the room with us, so we'll get him on. Uh Oregon cornerbacks coach Rod Chance. I am excited about this, man. How about you? Yeah, super excited. And, uh, you know, I I don't know how much Coach Chance pays attention to social media or the news or whatnot, but there have been a lot of questions about cornerback recruiting, uh, just cornerbacks in general, what Rod Chance brings to the table. And this is a chance for us to kind of get him uh, for 15 minutes or so and listen to what he has to say. We we won't get into too much recruiting because we want to keep him uh, on the up and up and not get him in trouble with Coach Cristobal, but just, <laughs> you know, some of the things he looks for, generally speaking, and really, you know, kind of oh. to get to know Rod Chance a little more. I'm super excited about that. All right, he's Rod Chance, Oregon cornerbacks coach, and he joins us right now, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. Coach, my favorite question, every time we have somebody on for the first time, when you're involved at Oregon, I want to know, what brought you here? And and for you, the question's a little different. What brought you back to Oregon? <laughs> yeah, that's a uh, that's a loaded question there. You know, uh, what, what brought me here or, or what brought me to Oregon? I, I think I prefer with this, man. I've always been and kept the mindset of my humble beginnings. I was a high school football coach. And, you know, when you're a high school football coach in the Southeast, like I was in Atlanta, 
lot of times, you know, you're, you're kind of used as a tool you know, for recruiting. And uh, for myself, I kind of always envisioned myself of being more than that and, and really wanted people to see who I was as a ball coach. So I just kind of went to work. So my mentality is that as a high school football coach, in terms of my relationship skills and, and being able to see eye to eye with not only those players, um, but really to relate to the high school football coaches and, and what they're going through at this time. But, you know, I think uh, getting here, obviously, you guys know, uh, you know, I uh, started my career off as a high school football coach at Alpharetta High School. You know, took the job at my alma mater, Rhode Island. 30 days later, Franklin gave me a call. And, you know, we had a previous relationship and brought me to Vanderbilt. Um, I spent a year there on the offensive side of the ball. After that season was over, James went to Penn State. And walks Derek Mason. And uh, things went really well for me uh, since then. Was able to help Coach Mason get it going. Uh, a couple of years after that, you know, had an opportunity to uh, go to Southern Utah to be the defensive coordinator there. Uh, what started out to be the defensive backs coach uh, shortly turned into a few weeks, me turning into being a defensive coordinator. And, you know, that was my first experience into those roles. And I really valued it by being a young minority coach. You know, there aren't many, you know, African-American defensive coordinators across the country. Um, BS football, let alone all football. Right now, it's currently 10. Um time I've checked if I'm not mistaken in there but uh, it was just something that I valued an opportunity to work for an African, African-American head football you know he was a defensive coordinator prior to prior to me getting there and I came in there running a whole totally different system and he had had success with to arriving there so I um, spent two seasons there you know were able to win a conference championship and do some things in a tough and difficult league with the with the team that probably had the lowest endowment in the conference and you know, along the way, man, I was speaking at a clinic and, um, and I believe we were in Nashville at the time and I was at a coach's clinic and I was speaking in a bus session. It started out to be 15 people and by the time I turned around, it was about 60 people. One of those people uh, in that room was Keith Hayward. Wow. And, uh, Keith was someone that I, I did not know, but he's someone that I studied, you know, as a young high school ball coach. I would watch drill of him as he was, a, you know, when he was at different universities in this conference. And I would watch and take and steal some of his drills off YouTube. So after that deal was over, some of the high school coaches in, in Atlanta, excuse me, and in Los Angeles kind of introduced us because obviously Keith has been a player on this side a lot longer than I have. And uh, we just built this bond, man, just started talking football. And, you know, we go out on the road, recruit, and make sure we touch base and get in the car together and, you know, make sure we grab lunch, bounce football off of him. And then in between that all season after we won uh, the conference championship and heading, uh, heading into that next season, spring ball, I'm thinking I'm going back. He gave me a call looking for a young guy in, a, in an analyst role. And, uh, you know, my was, you know, you know, he asked me how much was I making? I said, well, hell, how much does it pay? You know, um, <laughs> because every opportunity that I did see come my way wasn't necessarily an opportunity to leave the, the opportunity to coordinate or call plays, you know, in, in my young age. But the situation at Oregon, you know, was worth the risk of taking a step backwards in order to go forward. So, obviously, I was here that 2018 season, you know, helped out a little bit in recruiting, you know, obviously had a role in, you know, what we were doing defensively, being that I had a lot of experience in the defense that our defensive coordinator at the time was running. Um, that was a defense that I GA'd and QC in and knew it like the back of my hand. So, I was able to come in and provide assistance, you know, in terms of that, that my role that season. And, you know, at the end of that season, there was, you know, some conversations between Coach Cristobal and I that potentially coming on as a full-time assistant after that season. Um, in between that time, you know, I uh, was able to get contacted by the University of Minnesota. And, you know, I got offered the same day they flew me out there, but, you know, I wasn't willing to take the job until I came back and had a conversation with Coach Cristobal. 
you know, face to face because the relationship meant that much to me. And even then, you know, um, he, he told me the kid, don't, don't, don't unpack. You know, <laughs> he's like, don't unpack, don't get too comfortable, you know, because, you know, you're showing yourself to be a good football coach, regardless of what position it may be. So we go and we have a great year at Minnesota last year. You know, we were able to win uh, 11 football games um, at a tough spot and, and, and was able to change the trajectory of what we were doing in the past game. I think we were ranked probably around 67th, you know, uh, prior to my, me getting there. And, you know, fortunately, with some the work of some really good football players and, and an excellent defensive football staff, we were able to, you know, finish at ninth in the country, you know, in passing defense. And, you know, that was a bunch of guys that, you know, were low two stars, low three stars in terms of where they were projected coming out of high school. And to be honest, man, that, that's that's my that's my calling card, you know, just a developer of young men, you know, and be able to take a skill set that's humble and hungry and be able to take it to the next level. And so I think what brought me back was the relationship with, with, with Coach Hayward, the relationship with Coach Cristobal, and really the whole entire staff. Um, my wife is very fond of, you know, Jessica Cristobal, you know, very fond of, you know, Miss Salabea, you know, very fond of, you know, Berta. Mirabal, very fond of Cameo Hayward. So it was really an easy decision for us, you know, to come back here. And, you know, a lot of times you sign a contract, you know, you win 11 football games, everything looking up in terms of where I was at, recruiting where I'm originally from, you know, where, you know, where I coached high school at. But the opportunity to come back and be amongst family, you know, to be amongst the culture that I believe in and to be on the staff that one knows me and allows me to be myself and also pushes me to develop me towards the goals that I'd like to pursue in the future. So for that, it was a no-brainer, you know, in terms of that. But uh, that's kind of why I came back, man. And I, I want to win a national championship for Coach Phil Knight, you know. And, 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 and that's I got a burning passion to do it. I feel like this is a place that you can do it at. But also, it, it does have the, the, the appeal that hasn't been done before. So a lot of times you go to these institutions that have such a rich tradition of, win, tradition of winning championships that, you know, it's not as special when you do get over the hump or you do get one. So I think the appeal for, you know, a top perennial program in my mind, you know, to attract the type of talent that we can attract here nationally and the ability to win a tech championship that hadn't been done at, you know, just kind of feeds my fire on who I am as a competitor. Man, I, you know, I, I hadn't thought about that at all, Coach, and I absolutely love your point. You, you make a, a tremendous point that that first – there's nothing sweeter than that first championship. I mean, and, and – you know, that would be for Oregon and that would be for Michael Jordan if you're watching that docuseries. But that, there's nothing more special than that first championship. So you're right. And to, to have a chance to be a part of that is something. You're a defensive guy. You're coaching corners. I know you, I know you like working with Coach Hayward. You know, he's worked with safeties. But, uh, you know, Coach Avalos uh, obviously really did some, did some tremendous things with Oregon's defense last year. Uh, what's been kind of your thoughts and, and what makes him tick and, and do what he does at Oregon to make him so successful? Uh, I think one, you know, I, I have to start by, I've known Andy for a while here. You know, I met Andy at, you know, San Bernardino Valley Community College, uh, you know, probably my first, first time ever recruiting out West and found him to be a great guy. You know, um, there were some opportunities on the staff he was on and I was definitely trying to get on as a young FCS coach that, didn't necessarily work out, but I've always followed his career, you know, and seen the, the job that he was doing from afar. Um, fast forward it, you know, I actually saw him in, in, in a high school in Atlanta, you know, not knowing that opportunity that Oregon would be coming, you know, a long way. Now, you let him tell it. He knew it all along and didn't tell me anything. Just <laughs> dry interviewed me as we sat in, 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 in the high school. 
But uh, it's been an awesome, you know, experience, you know, to get up under him. He's very detailed, has a great plan. I think the thing that I admire most about him is that he's a delegator. You know, he delegates the responsibilities to us, you know, and allows us to to operate within our responsibilities and then holds us accountable to those responsibilities. Um, at times you get into, you know, systems that, that may be a little bit micromanagerial and it's good to be and refreshing to be a part of a collaborative experience, you know, with the coach that allows you to go. Yes, we discuss it. Yes, we're on the same page. But, you know, it's a situation where you always start from, hey, Rob, what do you want to do? How do you want to get it done? So that's been great, you know, to 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 uh, to to be a part of and to be commended, you know, because a lot of times the higher you get up, the bigger the ego is at. So he's shown himself to be a humble guy, and I'm enjoying working with him. This is my second time really being in the eye front defense, so I'm a bit of a football junkie, but uh, it's been great for me to kind of get back in it and get my chops back loose in, in the three four four three multiple defense. Coach, I love how you talk about the rapport you have with Coach Avalos and the reverence you have for Coach Cristobal. One thing I, I really noticed with your hire and, and some of the other hires that Coach Cristobal has made on his staff over the years is you guys all have a hunger and and you all have some similar notes in your backgrounds. Uh, a lot of SEC guys, a lot of uh, Power Five guys, and guys that started at those lower levels like you did, high school football, and just had a passion for it. Um, with, with that in mind, I think about the connection you have with the rest of your staff. Who are you closest with? Uh, on our staff now? Yeah. Man, I had to say, you know, Coach Hayward, you know, just because he, he and I have known each other, you know, the longest. And obviously when a person reaches out to you and extends an opportunity that, you know, leads to this, how could you not have a connection with them? You know, so I, I think think for that, for that, you know, for that reason alone and the bond that we developed, you know, and obviously, you know, we're going to be together, you know, in terms of us being friends. And we also, you know, work, you know, together in the secondary. So I think he would be the person that I would be closest to. But I think that, you know, that's the great thing about our staff. It's so diverse. I have so many different mentors that I can go to for different reasons. You know what I mean? Within the staff, for example, you know, if, if, if I have an issue, you know, with, with, with family issue or with my wife or, or, or anything children related, you know, I'm going to come to Joe Salavea mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of get some of the older wisdom from him. If, if, if I want to talk about the plight of, you know, a young coach in his profession, you know, the young minority coach in his profession. You know, I'm going to talk to Bobby Williams, who's been a head football coach, you know, who's seen a lot more, a lot longer than the tooth. And, you know, so I just think so many people on our staff just serve a different purpose, you know what I mean, for me and my development. And, uh, you know, I can go to Coach Cristobal about anything. I can go to Coach Mirabal about anything. And he's one of the greatest men I've come in contact with. And that's outside of football or, or, or anything related, which, again, I hate to go back, but it ties into why I came back. You know, so I would say I have a connection with each person on our staff. Obviously, you know, the only people that I, I have not necessarily been around as long as the guys who are, you know, are newer to the staff or who were added to the season this past season. But for the guys that were here when I was here, man, uh, that was a big part of me coming back. Just how, how much I love those guys and how, how well I enjoy working. Uh, so, Coach, you are walking into uh, one of the most talented rooms at Oregon and that, and that being the cornerbacks. And I would say it's really close with linebacker. I, I know Ken Wilson's got uh, a lot of studs in there as do you, uh, your pro football focus continues to write article after article about Oregon secondary being one of the elite nationally. Uh, Diamondor Lenore, Thomas Graham, obviously Mikel Wright's on the come up. 
what is uh, what is Coach Jantz, what What's kind of I don't want to call it your agenda, but what's what's your plan with these young men, and what are you working on with them most? I know we're not doing face to face football at this point in time, but I know you've got a plan. So what's kind of your plan with these young men as you head into fall camp, assuming we have that, uh, and getting them ready for that next step, which you know a couple of them are, are off to do after this year? You know, I think uh, initially my plan starts with this, to not listen to those things. Um, the pro football focus, which I do like it when it's skewed in our direction because it does help us, you know, in terms <laughs> of everything. You know, it does help. But, you know, I think we got to focus on ourselves in the process, you know, and continue to be humble, hum- hungry, and driven who we want to be as a defense because, you know, the funny thing about those press clippings that they have a funny way of showing themselves up to be negative, you know, if you don't necessarily back those things up. So for me, I think for me getting here was to just to understand and really reiterate the fact that last season was last season. It had nothing to do with, you know, who we are, you know, or who we will be, you know, this the version of our secondary this upcoming season. And the reality is if you look at the statistics and where we rank, you know, there's areas for improvement, you know, all over the field in terms of the pass game. And, you know, I think that, you know, knowing that, you know, I think our kids are on the same page with me. And I think that was a major part in bringing myself in, you know, to, to this staff that, you know, I like to pride myself on being a developer, you know, of young men, you know, to where I've been developing talent, you know, whether it's from Little League Pee Wee football, you know, to the high school level, to FCS football, to the Big Ten, um, Big Sky now back here in the Pac-12 again. So I think it starts there, you know, in terms of really training the mindset because, uh, you know, it's all about the mind here. You know, our four-quarter training, you know, how to really not listen to your uh, listen to your body and really focus on the mental aspect of the game. So I think it's building up uh, the, the mental part of it for us. Right now, I really kind of built the game down and breaking the game down in terms of really just teaching them, you know, football school in terms of what formation recognition, formation recognition is, excuse me, um, just really try to understand uh, the game within the game, um, how to understand situational football, which is what football is to me, and how to predict and, and play those those systems and, and play those scenarios throughout your head and what we like to call the cycle of the snap. You know, what's happening pre-snap? You know, what are my indicators? Where are my eyes? You know, based on the game plan, you know, how do I put that action, you know, to work, you know, uh, to make it work for me in the game, rather. So I think it starts there. You know, I think for us, you know, we've been doing the Zoom meetings much like anyone else without, you know, giving away, you know, what we feel has been our advantage. But, you know, I've been in close, you know, congruence with these kids, close close alignment with them every day. You know, just not only from a football standpoint, from an athletic standpoint, because, you know, I think, you know, much more than they've been used to that they're getting held accountable at a, at a high clip, you know, in terms of what they're doing off the field academically as well. So, you know, I've been talking to them daily, you know what I mean? Sometimes multiple days, multiple, multiple times, two, three, four times a day. Some need more love than most, you know, and a lot of times it's football driven, sometimes it's academic driven. But, you know, some of it is still relationship built because obviously with only four practices in, those are 11 opportunities that we did not get an opportunity to build relationship, 11 opportunities that we did not get an opportunity to, uh, you know, to really for them to learn my language and to, to further get repetitions and how I teach, what my prompts, what are my quirks, you know, how we all work together. So I think, you know, we're just building it and continue to move forward and, and, and really try to speed up that process, but make thorough in the process of it as well. Uh, coach, uh, one of the biggest, well, I guess part, uh, one of the biggest parts of your job is recruiting. No question about that. Uh, you've got some guys coming in uh, and I'm sure you're excited to get to work with them when that time comes, but in general speaking, 
uh, you're on the recruiting trail. You're out there looking for guys. I know you come from a, a Southeast, you know, kind of an SEC style background and you're out West. What are some of the things that you're looking for in potential recruits for you at corner? What are some of the things that you prioritize and, and uh, you know, as far as guys that you want to bring in? Well, I think, you know, James Franklin taught me how to recruit, you know, um, by volume, you know, and he recognized something in me early and I picked up on some things that I could do as well, you know, in, in my short time with him. And, you know, in recruiting to me, it's all about relationships. It doesn't matter the location. You know, you just got to really be able to get boots on the ground, you know, to where you can start to really build genuine relationships that, you know, will pay off big dividends down the road. And we all know, you know, that takes time and that's a process. So I think for me, uh, it all starts with who we want to be as a program um, because, you know, nobody's right. Four-star, five-star, three-star, two-star, you know, we've all missed in terms of what our crystal ball projections have been. Crystal, crystal ball, not coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, in terms of those projections, you know, we all miss. But I think, you know, for us as a defense, we've really been discussing, you know, for us, you know, where, where our philosophy is and where we want to go is – yeah, you're going to miss, you know, some people miss more than others. You know, hopefully you don't. But if we miss along these three guidelines, if the kids still possess these three things, you know, we should, he will be able to find a way to fight and claw, all right, to help us, you know, win as a football team. And those three things are being humble, being hungry, and being driven. You know, if you possess those three things, you know, uh, whether you we get here, you're not fast enough, or whether you get here, you're not strong enough, you know, whether or not you struggle with this or you struggle with that, those three characteristics are going to find a way or allow you to find a way, you know what I mean, to find a way to get get it done for this program. And that's all about the, the work that we're being doing, we're do, that's being done in terms of the background information. So I think it starts with that. You know, I think uh, in terms of parameters, we always want to start with the position of, you know, getting length, you know, because those guys are so hard to get. But I'm not a guy that's going to say that every single person has to be 6'3", you know, in order to play corner for myself. Um, you know, I've had guys that were successful last season with a guy that was 6'3". He was an all-conference player that had never started a game prior to that. And at the same time, the player that played opposite him was all-conference as well. He was 5'9", you know, 195 pounds, you know. So, you know, it, I've, I've had a lot of success just with different body styles, and it's just a process in the regiment. So, but I think in that with the numbers, you know, you want to make sure that you can mix it around and have different body styles that you can throw at, P at teams because, you know, football games are situations and matchups. So, you know, if we're living in a world where, you know, we have one body style, or we're heavy in the room and, and one body style, you know, whether it's tall or, or, you know, not necessarily as tall, you know, you're going to have issues in terms of the versatility. So for me, I like to be versatile, you know, so if you see me our room is a certain way and everybody looks the same, probably in the next class I'm going to be looking to change the body styles. Bring in a few different body styles that I can throw out there to whether it's a shorter guy, you know, that has the quickness and the short area quickness to stay in front of someone, you know, whether it's a long, lean body that has the hip fluidity, you know, but also has the, the foot speed, you know, the fast twitch muscles to stay in front of a wide receiver and stay on top of them vertical. You know, so it's just all different bodies and different different tools because I'm going to give the kids different tools to put in their tool bag. But in a sense, you know, for the lack of a better term, those players that are different body styles and different skill sets, different speed are, are my tools for my, you know, personal toolbox to get it done for this team. Uh, coach, your answers have been phenomenal. I'm curious. Could I, could I ask you one more? Can we get one more with sure. you? Sure. 
Okay. Um, on, you got I'm, I'm in front of the I'm front of the screen right now. We're good. Awesome. In between a, a lot of zooms uh, loaded up. <laughs> All right. Um, I love your talk about intangibles. My dad used to coach corners when I was growing up in youth ball. And, and he's the same way. It's not so much a focus on measurables. Yeah, you'd love to have the big guy. Yeah, you'd love to have the fast guy. But you laid it out, hungry, humble, and driven, three really valuable intangibles at that position. Without giving away any industry secrets, how do you find that in guys? Well, you know, I, I believe that the biggest thing about recruiting is gathering of information. And real truthful information. And when you get that information and running it by other sources as well. So I think that one part of the evaluation is the film. Okay. That's a piece of information. You know, another part of the evaluation is the live evaluation where you get to see them compete and respond. Okay. And another piece of information is going to be, again, boost on the ground. Who do you know? You know, what is the coach saying? What is the 707 guy saying? You know, what is his little league football coach saying? What is the girlfriend saying? Uh, what, what is the pastor saying? You know, it does all of those things align, you know, and, and I think, you know, sometimes one person or a coach or a person may oversell a player, but consistently among it all, when you bring the average together, you're going to get an opportunity to find out who the kid really is. That on top of having true, real, meaningful relationship building with the kid, because you'll find out who he is if you pay attention and listen, you know, because recruiting to me is relationship building. I don't recruit. You know, I don't recruit. I, I, I'm always going to be a developer of men first and foremost. Best recruiting is going to be the development of the players on the field. And once that once that gets on the grass, I, I like to let that do the talking. But, you know, I just think that's the way you start. You know, that's where you got to find out what makes these kids twerk. And I think you got to de-recruit them as you recruit them. Because, you know, I'm very demanding as a football coach. I don't want to create a false sense of reality that when you get here, I'm going to be your best friend because I'm not. You know, that's not my role. I don't have any 18-year-old friends. My role is to be a mentor and provide leadership for you and push you to be the best person you, you, you've been called to be. And at the same time, build upon the foundation that your family has set for you along with the guidelines of this program. And, and I'm committed to doing it and doing it the right way. And this is not a microwave way of doing things. You know, it's just a step-by-step -step process. But when you do things right, you know, on the front end, it'll have a lot of dividends on the back end. Uh, Coach, I've got one for you, and it's going to piggyback there a little bit. But, uh, you know, coming up, obviously, uh, you went to high school, St. Thomas Aquinas you know, a noted program out of Florida there, uh, worked at Alpharetta coming out uh, out of the gate as a coach there, got a lot of Southeast ties. What's it going to take for you to be able to transition that to the West coast where obviously you're based now, or is there much of a transition needed at all? You know, I wouldn't say it's a, a, a huge transition, you know, necessarily needed, you know, obviously this is not, you know, the norm, you know, this is not, the circumstances that you would like to take this job up under in terms of dealing with the pandemic. Uh, so, but it is what it is. You know, we, we got to face, we got to overcome adversity, we got to adapt and adjust. But, you know, to answer that, you know, I think that my time back West, you know, was really, you know, very helpful for me. And I don't think that if I didn't recruit SoCal, you know, Los Angeles, Orange County, that I would be here today. You know, those relationships, you know, whether it's the high school football coaches in the area or, you know, the 707 guys, I wouldn't be here. So, you know, I think that allowed me to have, you know, fertile bases, you know, in, 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 the, in on the West Coast. And I think just being from, you know, South Florida, you know, being, you know, having coached 
in Atlanta and having the, the story that a lot of high school football coaches, you know, a lot of us really want to be, you know, college coaches. And for me to be someone that they, they've known, they've competed against or, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, it resonates when I walk through those schools and I carry that, that, that badge of honor, you know, as that high school coach, you know, very, very highly, you know. So I, I don't think necessarily that it's a huge, you know, transition. But I just think it's about, you know, under the normal circumstances, being able to get out and, and, and continue to build those relationships. Because right now I'll be on the road somewhere, you know, um, <laughs> but, you know, somewhere I'll be somewhere hitting, you know, somewhere nine, ten schools, you know, me burning it up, eating bad food, you know, a bunch of sunflower seeds and, 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 and twizzlers. But, you know, I'm not, you know, so we're out here. We, we're, we're trying to thrive, you know, from behind the computer screens. But, you know, I will say this, that, you know, we know what Oregon is in terms of the importance of, you know, what the West Coast is, you know, and, and, to, and to be able to continue on, on the stretch that we've been so very fortunate, you know, that we've earned, you know, uh, because that wasn't given to us. That, that's been a lot of work by the other coaches and staffs and building relationships in California to where the things have, have helped us out, as well as the bordering states of Washington, you know, as well as down in Arizona and, and, and Nevada, Utah as well. So I, I think that's important that, that I do understand that and having been out here before, you know, I, I do recognize the need you know, how important that is. And at the same time, you know, knowing that my ties back east are very helpful, but it's been, it would have been great for me to get back out there, you know, because these past two recruiting cycles, one, you know, I was working at Oregon off the field. Two, you know, I was working at an institution that, that did not recruit California. So the ability to walk through those doors with that O on my chest would have been nice to rekindle some of those relationships, you know, and also to kind of, you know, put the beats on the street, if you would. But at the same time, I don't need necessarily that, 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 that would have been, you know, a, a, a an issue, you know, had we had normal circumstances to get out here to do. So I just think about, you know, hitting it, doing it the right way, you know, um, not having a lot of eval hurts, you know, so obviously, you know, some of the people that I've seen, you know, with my own two eyes, you know, you feel a little bit better about those who may have questions about the film you see. So it's been a great experience so far. I'm enjoying it. You know, I feel like we're doing a great job. You know, I feel like our, our recruiting department is killing, killing it, you know, rocking it out the park. But you guys know that, you know, you know, this is a special place, and you know, once people feel it and see it, you know, it's going to catch fire. Is uh, is your wife ready to throw you out of the house yet? <laughs> you know what? She's been awesome. You know, and if you get a chance to meet my wife, you know, um, you will know that she's the most famous member of the Chance family by far. <laughs> so, you know, uh, she's been good, man. You know, I think she understands this whole football deal. You know what I mean? And she was so ready to come back here that she's. She's down with, with whatever, whatever I'm willing to do right now. But, you know, it was good to get over here uh, before everything shut down. But, uh, you know, we moved in the house. We bought a house here, kind of laying down some roots, you know, and, and, and so she's been awesome. So she's been busy filling up the house. So you can imagine what's been going on with that, you know, in terms of the credit card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I, I hear there's quite a long line at Lowe's and Home Depot these days. So uh, I don't think that's slowing people down for the most part. No doubt. Um, no doubt. No doubt. Well, Coach, we know you're a busy guy, and we appreciate the time that you've taken. It's been very generous, and uh, we definitely would love to catch up with you again some other time. All right, brother. I appreciate you guys so much. Appreciate everything you do for our program and, and, and our fan base. Uh, I want to let you guys know that. I know sometimes it may seem like a thankless job, but we appreciate you spreading, spreading the message about this brotherhood and making sure the right thing come out of, about what we want to be. Awesome, Coach. No, we appreciate it as well. And uh, stay safe out there. Yeah. All right, brother. You guys too. Take care. Thanks a lot. Wow. That was, uh, you know, I, I, 
I'm almost speechless coming out of that because you could tell right away. I, I feel like I'm going to call a shot here. In three years, I will be stunned if Coach Chance is still the Ducks Corners coach. And, and that's not a knock on him. That's a compliment to him. I see sky-high potential in him. Well, you, you can feel the passion. You can feel the energy. Uh, you can feel that, that really he, he, he gets – he understands that there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And he's not, he's not at Oregon to cut corners. You know, he's here to work. He's, he's chomping at the bit to get recruiting, which is obviously great news, uh, you know, for Oregon. And it just seems like, you know, his track record speaks for itself and for him to go into Minnesota and for them to see that kind of improvement in their past defense in a year, that was really the weak link of Oregon uh, last year was the pass defense. It was, uh, I'd have to look, but the statistic was Oregon was ranked somewhere in the 50s or 60s as far as pass defense goes. So you can see why Mario Cristobal, you know, went after Rod Chance early. Not only are they familiar and not only is Keith Hayward a big fan and they're close friends, which is very important. There's a guy that really understands the principles of pass defense. And that's what Oregon was, was lacking and hopefully they're able to get better at um, it just, you know, great energy. And you could see, it, it seems as though one of the things that we go through Matt and we get these coaches on is you hear about the brotherhood and the, and the family bond of the coaches and, and being able to lean on each other. And it doesn't mean that there's, you know, 12 best friends in that locker room at all times. But when you have two, three, four guys that you can kind of lean on back and forth with, you know, for him, maybe it's Big Joe one day on something and, and, and Bobby Williams another day and, and Keith Hayward. When you have that kind of camaraderie, that, that really just – that really solidifies where your staff is at. And I think, Mar- I think Mario Crispo – Dante Williams is a loss, no question. Great recruiter, great guy. A lot of respect for Dante Williams. But overall, I believe Oregon has the absolute best coaching staff they've ever had at the program currently, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I just know from my perspective, getting to interview these guys with you, um, I've never interviewed an assistant in the Cristobal era that I left the interview thinking, okay, this guy's playing the game. Because we all see it. And, and right. I know you've seen it at some of the other programs that you're privy to. Um, you have a, a pretty strong knowledge base on, say, USC and, and some of the other schools in the Pac-12 and, and some of the other schools that your parent company has worked with. And you see coaches pretty cynically move up the ladder. And they're playing the game. They're saying the right thing, but they're, they're doing something else behind closed doors. Sure. And I've never gotten that vibe from anybody at Oregon that Mario has had in the building. It's it's 100% just real, authentic guys like Coach Chance that they had a dream and they're living that dream and and they're just kicking ass at it every day. Yeah, I mean, you look at the you look at the coaching staff for Oregon and it's littered with guys that you can sit here and say, hey, look, that guy's not going to be here long. And it's not a bad thing. It's not because they're doing their job incorrectly. It's because they have a lot of potential and you have a lot of position coaches that are ripe to become coordinators either at Oregon or at the next stop, depending. And you've got a lot of, you've got a couple of coordinators at Oregon, two coordinators, in fact, that have the makings. I mean, Joe Moorhead was a head coach, uh, you know, for a brief period, but you have two coordinators in, in Moorhead and Avalos that have the makings of becoming head coaches somewhere. Uh, you know, Joe Moorhead probably a head coach once again. So 
I, I do can again this is not a slight to anybody that's been at Oregon coached at Oregon you know I have a lot of respect for the guys like the Steve Greatwoods and the John Neals and the Don Pelhams that were around you know Gary Campbell that were around for 30 40 years at Oregon coaching uh, you know that was a tremendous thing to have and, and very rare in today's football but this is an absolute all-star cast of coaches at Oregon right now and and I do think Mario Cristobal has got his most talented staff he's ever had uh, currently in place at Oregon yeah yeah, and and I feel great about that interview too. I am kind of bummed. the The one thing I had in my notes that I didn't ask was I wanted to ask him about his retro gaming because from what I saw on Twitter, yeah. Coach Chance has a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we didn't get into as much personal because I just started asking him about food and stuff too, and his favorite meal and whatnot. But it sounds like he's not really a food junkie if he's eating junk food and sour sunflower seeds. Sounds more like a baseball player, but right. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, yeah, there was a little bit more, but you know, we, we went 30 minutes and I don't know if you were looking at the clock like I was, it's like, Hey, I know these guys are busy. They've got zoom meetings stacked upon zoom meetings. It's, you know, we got to, we got to get him off and get him back to work. So um, very gracious with this time. We were very fortunate to get what we got. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy how that world has changed, you know, like, like uh, a year ago, I imagine he'd be flying around the country or you're driving on some highway road trying to get to a kid's house and meet the family. And now he's sitting at a desk doing Zoom calls. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy world we live in, no doubt. And it's, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine for, for any coach, not just, you know, not just Rod Chance, but any coach at any program that's come in. And, you know, might have gotten hired on in, in, in February or March or even late January because that's when a lot of coaching, uh, you know, changes happen. And, you know, next thing you know, three weeks later, four weeks later, you're the way you normally conduct business is completely shut off. So, um, I, yeah, this will definitely uh, I guess this pandemic will definitely be something that we talk about for years and and the effects it's had all over the map, not just in football or coaching. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that pretty much ran the gamut on Duck football. I know we also had uh, the Haley Cruz news in our notes for today. Um, Duck softball star. Obviously, everybody listening to this follows her on Twitter because I think she's got more followers than the president and uh, and probably more followers than the founder of Twitter and just about a hundred other celebrities. Um, big news for her. How How big do you think this is for the Ducks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, obviously it's great to have Haley Cruz back for another year. I think it's a great choice, you know, for her. Uh, but more importantly, it's a great decision or it's a great impact on the program um, and what Coach Lombardi is building. I think it really, really speaks volumes. You know, again, that very first, very tumultuous year, a lot of transfers, a lot of questions, not a great year overall, you know, given that situation. But you see Coach Lombardi – and, and although it was a shortened second season, it certainly seemed as though there was no question that softball was on a very upward trajectory uh, in just her second year. And I think the ability to keep, you know, some of your top players, a Haley Cruz for that matter, and, and she says, hey, look, I'm, I, I believe in you. I want to come back. And that's a tremendous recruiting tool. That's a tremendous chemistry tool for your team. And again, I just think it speaks volumes and really validates you know, the folks that kind of believed in Coach Lombardi and were willing to give her a little bit more time, you know, given that crazy start, um, I certainly think that that helps validate that um, for those that believed. Yeah, that's my takeaway, too. I, I remember 
all of the great, talented players, it's easy to forget, it was an exodus of players going to Texas and players going to other programs, and, and all of a sudden you go from a team that was really one unlucky bounce or, or bad day away from making a title run to a team that was at the doldrums at the bottom of the Pac-12 conference. Um, I remember the people that I knew who were plugged into Duck softball, like uh, the, the guys at the college radio station there at Oregon that cover those games, or Joey Mack, my friend, who uh, interviews Coach Lombardi every week on his show. I remember them telling me, yeah, they're going to take their lumps. They're going to suck for a year or two, but she's a really good recruiter and a really good coach, and they're going to be back, and they're going to be back probably sooner than you think. Um, And I think the takeaway, when you have a star say, I'm going to stay, I'm bought in, I believe in Oregon, I want to be here a fifth year when I could go pro, um, that says this team is closer than we think. Yeah, she definitely buys into the product. And like you said, that's a big indication of where they think they could be next year. And I I believe, you know, again, I know fans can probably at least – uh, you know, see this a little better. I mean, it's the same thing as Justin Herbert and Troy Dye coming back for a fifth, you know, fourth year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, uh, Justin Herbert could have gone and been a first round draft pick last year, was one this year, but they fully believed in what Mario Cristobal was building. They wanted to come back. And, and for a guy, you know, for a guy like Justin Herbert growing up in Oregon down the road, being Eugene, I think it's very special to be able to go out, you know, a Pac 12 champ, Rose Bowl champ. Those are things you can never replace. And for a guy like Troy Dye, sure, he wasn't brought up in Eugene, Oregon, but, uh, you know, coming into that program and, and, you know, having success and then failures and, and you know, coordinator changes and, and position coach changes and then to know, hey, look, we're on the upward, you know, we're on the right track here. I know if I come back, it's the right thing. And obviously it was. I think that's much of what Haley Cruz is basically saying. Look, I'm coming back for a reason, and it's not so I can gain more, you know, social media followers and be more famous on TikTok. It's because I believe in in what we're doing as a softball program. So uh, they certainly could be a lot closer than we think, and that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. A party at the Jane next spring. <laughs> yeah, big party at the Jane. I can't wait, man. I, I I've said. You know, there's that question bouncing around everybody's mind of what's the first thing you're going to do um, <laughs> when we get back to a normalcy. And I keep thinking about all the things I never did. I keep thinking about how I had the opportunity, but I never went to a game at PK Park. I had the opportunity, but I never went to the Jane. Um, I've been to the old Matt Knight, but I hadn't been to the new Matt Knight. Uh, or, or old Matt Court, excuse me, uh, hadn't sure. been to Matt Knight. Um, I I can't wait when we get normalcy to go to a Duck softball game and just be in that frenzy. That's one of my favorite crowds in the country. Yeah, you got some serious boxes to start checking off, and and, and along with that, you got to get to Ex Novo sooner than later as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, the real one, not the Beaverton one. Yeah, yeah, the yeah the real one. Yeah, well you you got to you got to. You got a, a bucket list of breweries to hit if oh, you're yeah. going to get started on that train being in Portland these days. So, yeah. you know, it's it's that, tough. I do a video conference every day with my coworkers, and uh, they ask me, "Hey, you know, how do you like Portland so far?" And I have to tell them that I'm I'm cooped indoors all day. Right. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a different venue, but it's basically the same scenery, right? You're just stuck yeah. indoors in it in a different county. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, I feel pretty good about this week. Uh, we're getting close to an hour. Not quite there. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we covered it. Gave Coach Chance a, a uh, you know, I know there's been, and I, I don't know if he's read it or not, but there's been a lot of questions about corner recruiting and, you know, and Dante Williams leaving and being such a noted recruiter, um, respected in that regard. And, you know, what, what are we going to get out of Coach Chance? Well, I, I think you kind of at least got a preview to hear him, you know, talk about his current players and, and his, his plan for recruiting and what he brings to the table. Um, you know, we had a little bit of talk about COVID-19. Hopefully we didn't offend anybody. And if we did, we're sorry. But uh, otherwise, I think it's been a strong podcast and, and we'll, we'll do it again next week. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I say it this way with the COVID stuff. I don't want to be Mr. Nice and I don't want to be Mr. Mean. I want to be Mr. Right. I want to be honest. I want to be real. And I, I think we towed that line pretty well. Yeah, there's a lot to be cautious about. And, and yeah, there's some things to nitpick. That's just what we're going to do. Um, great interview this week with Coach Chance. I implore you. I, I, I listen to some of the other guys out there because uh, just like Justin is friends with them, I'm friends with them too. But I can tell anybody listening that we're the only ones who get that interview with coach chance we're the only ones that get anything any anywhere close to that it's something that i think makes this pod really special and something that i think you should consider uh great interview with coach chance add that one to the mount rushmore of the good interviews we've had on this pod and uh, we'll be back next week and i'm curious to see who you line up next week man you're on a roll yeah, I guess I'll I'll probably I'll, I'll need to get to the drawing board a little sooner than I've been, but I'll I'll get to, I'll get to work on lining up somebody next week, and in the meantime, everybody stay safe. Yeah. All right. Stay safe and go Ducks. I can do this now.